This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. The Volume. Charles Darwin. The Nerds is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brebber and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today, we are going to be catching up on some big time NBA news. That being the latest updates in the James Harden saga. Of course, this happened earlier in the week after reports that the Sixers were going to be ending Harden trade talks after he requested a trade over a month ago with the Clippers as a preferred destination. Harden came out in response to that at an event in China and said, Daryl Morey is a liar and I will never be a part of an organization that he's part of. Then he hit the, let me repeat that and said the same line again. And I love that he did in front of a bunch of people who English is their second language. Like they were probably just extra perplexed by a very, very strange situation. And then now comes out, says he thinks a relationship with the Sixers is beyond repair. So Logan, we haven't had a chance to talk about this yet. What is your initial reaction to Harden calling out Maury to attempting to force the Sixers' hand even more here? And how do you feel like this reflects on Harden? So I can't speak to the relationship and the intricacies of, you know, Harden and Maury. Reportedly, Maury promised Harden a max contract uh, in that, you know, obviously didn't go through. I think it reflects pretty poorly on James Harden, Carson, for a few reasons. One, this is not the first instance that this has happened. When the going gets tough, when uh, success is not immediate, James Harden wants out. He did it in Brooklyn. He did it in Houston. Now he's doing it here again, which makes him hard to gauge as an asset, right? If you're a prospective team that wants to trade for him, it's like, oh, well, we could give up all these assets to go out and get James Harden, but if he gets here and is upset... What's stopping him from doing this to us, right? Uh, James, this is a reason that we thought that James Harden went to Philly because of a good relationship with Daryl Morey. 
And so if he can do that to him, uh, somebody who we considered very close to him, why is he not going to do that to your franchise? I also think this is a bad look for James Harden for another reason, Carson, and that is the fact that James Harden could have declined this player option and left to another team, right? With this player mobility stuff, with Damian Lillard, with Harden, it's hard for me to feel bad for these guys, Carson. Like, it, it just defeats the purpose of free agency. I get maybe you're not in a situation that you don't want to be in. Don't accept a player option. Just leave, Harden. Like, that's the point of free agency. Maybe you're not going to go out and get a $35 million contract from someplace else, but if you're really that upset in Philadelphia, then just don't don't put pen to paper. Just leave. The third reason I think this looks really poorly on James Harden, Carson, is the fact that he is not going to find a better situation directly tailored to how he plays basketball and his needs at this stage in his career. He is in one of the best situations in basketball. He gets to play with one of the best pick-and-roll and pick-and-pop partners in all of basketball, the MVP from last season in Joel Embiid. I mean, you're not going to find a better partner for your game directly tailored to how you play the game than Joel Embiid. And the surrounding assets that you have here, the Tyrese Maxey, the Tobias Harris, like you have other genuine bucket getters on this roster that help maximize your passing and playmaking ability. You're not going to find better co-stars than you have here in Philadelphia. So it it just reflects poorly on all of those angles. But to me, the worst is that he's not going to find a better basketball situation. So what is your motive here exactly, Harden? Do you want to win a championship? Do you want to get paid a lot of money to do it? Do you want to have great surrounding talent where a championship is on the table? Philadelphia is his best option right now, Carson. I just think I wouldn't want him if I was a prospective team. I don't think he's going to find a better situation. And he could have avoided all this if he really didn't want to be in Philadelphia. So I think this looks really, really poorly on James Harden. I don't think that this is a great situation for James Harden overall. And I will say, first of all, to me, there's no surprise at all on Maury playing hardball when it comes to the reports that they had stopped fielding offers for Harden. I doubt that that was actually true in any permanent sense. He is just famous for ridiculously high asking prices and for being very willing to wait and pushing these things to the limit. We just saw it unfold less than two years ago in the Ben Simmons saga that ended up getting James Harden to Philly, of course. Now, if Maury outright lied to Harden, promised him we will give you a max, Harden took the pay cut, that did not happen, then I think that Harden is absolutely justified in his anger. If it is anything short of that, though, if it's even just an implication like, yeah, we'll get you right, or we want to have you around long-term or whatever, then I don't think that he does because the reality is that his value as a basketball player has deteriorated significantly in the last couple years, and the market for him is just not very high. You talk about him having the opportunity to leave in free agency. Well, there was only a handful of teams that had the sort of big cat to take on a contract like that. Most of them were young rebuilding teams. Houston was obviously the one with which he was most consistently associated. They decided instead to spend huge money on Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks. So James Harden just is not viewed as a top-end asset in his mid-30s deserving of this sort of mega extension that he was expecting in Philly. So I don't think that he deserved that. And I do think that overall, 
he has just sort of lost his credibility and his sympathy from my perspective with these requests. The Houston situation was one thing. That roster was clearly declining fast. Russ had just demanded out and was traded to Washington. They were not close to contention. He had put in the better part of a decade carrying that team to consistently churn out high-level success, obviously not getting all the way over the hump, but I absolutely get him wanting to team up with better talent. But then he goes to Brooklyn, his desired destination, immediately forms what was the best regular season offense ever at that time, the highest offensive rating in NBA history, even just playing half the year there. They go 29-7 and in the games that he plays, but they fall short. He gets hurt in the playoffs. Kyrie gets hurt in the playoffs. And by midway through the next season, he has demanded out, right? His last few games, he's not playing. He has that last game in Brooklyn where he only scores four points and then he's sitting out with the hamstring. He requests a trade specifically to Philly, where he then lands after playing just two half seasons in Brooklyn, having this incredibly talented, historically great offense, and they don't even get a real shot at it before he demands out. And then in Philly, plays one and a half seasons there with a MVP caliber player, with a contending roster. He plays well below expectations in back-to-back postseasons, right? Averages of 19.5 and 8.5 over the two years on 56% true shooting. Efficiency took a big hit. Scoring and playmaking volume took a hit. Obviously, he was embarrassingly bad in the four losses that they had against Boston this year. And then demands out of another situation where that roster has contending potential, where they are making changes to... Try to improve, right? Bringing in Nick Nurse instead of Doc Rivers. Tyrese Maxey, an incredibly talented young player who is trending upwards. So now he demands out of here. And again, I understand if that relationship with Daryl Morley is justifiably fractured beyond repair. I can't speak to the inner workings of that relationship. But the reality is, in Brooklyn, he tanked a very good basketball situation. And you can talk about the dynamics at play with... Kyrie being volatile, not getting vaccinated, not playing a ton of games, right? But at the same time, he is the one investing in that personal relationship. He is the one saying, yeah, I want to go to Brooklyn. I am choosing Kyrie and KD as my running mates. And so he holds some responsibility if that relationship ends up fracturing when it's with somebody like Kyrie Irving, who has such an obvious and famous reputation in terms of being a difficult guy at times. And then Right, Things could have been different there if he had been healthy for a playoff run, James Harden. This year, if he played up to expectations, right, they would have finished off Boston. I understand that he carried them for a couple games with the 40 pieces, but he also averaged 12.5 points per game on 22% shooting in their losses. So in the basketball sense, he has been put in very privileged situations. He has fallen short, and then he, after very brief stints with those teams, has demanded out. And he is the one who chose to go to Brooklyn. That was his preferred destination. He is the one who chose to go to Philly. That was his preferred destination. Those were the personal relationships that he believed in. So this just very much feels like a created problem to me. This is not Damian Lillard who has tried to stick it out with the franchise for a decade given everything that he has. And now if he's a little pushy, well, it's much more justified. James Harden has been in back-to-back very good basketball situations that he specifically requested 
and he has not just demanded out at the end, he has done so in ugly fashion. I just think it's hard to sympathize with that, and his basketball value is not at the level where that is going to make him a very attractive player for a lot of teams to want to bring on. So let me just ask you straight up, like, how valuable is James Harden right now? How does he rank among the NBA's best players and assets? Like, I don't know if this is a hot take. I'd have to draw out a top 10. I don't know if James Harden is a top 10 point guard I would want uh, in the league today. Let me, let, me, let me do a quick thought exercise here, right? I'm going to take Steph. Are we considering Luka and SGA point guards too? Primary ball handlers? They're primary ball handlers. Yeah, sure. I'm taking Luka, I'm taking SGA, I'm taking Foxy, uh, I'm taking Brunson. Let me know if I forget anybody here. I'm taking Ja, I'm taking Trey Young. I think I'm taking Tyrese Halliburton. Like, I don't know, man, Harden. Jamal Murray. I'm taking Jamal Murray over Harden, too. Yeah, like, Harden is, at best, contending for a top 10 spot as a point guard. And that's what also compounds this, Carson. It's not just the fact that you're afraid that he could quit on you. It's not just the fact that he has taken a legitimate step back. I don't know what Harden thinks his value is across the league. He's still being overpaid. Like, Harden, you're making $36 million this year. You're not worth that contract. Like, I think Harden's a 25 mil to $30 million player. Like, Harden is, like, I don't want to bag on the guy too much. Like, he's still a valuable asset. He's still a good player, but he's overpaid. And he's not like a number one or something. He's not a super intriguing and valuable asset to go out and get. That's why... Like, I don't know who's clamoring. We're between a rock and a hard place. I don't know who is clamoring to go out and get James Harden to put them over the hump and put them in contention. I don't think James Harden is that kind of player right now. And so it's hard for me to think that we're going to be budging on this anytime soon. Like you said, Daryl Morey is not a guy who is going to take a low ball offer. He has come out and said, I am. We are going to take a offer that is going to make us competitive and keep us in championship contention, or we're not going to do it. And I trust Maury to hold out. Like he's got Harden by the balls right now, Carson. He's got him under contract for this year, which means until the trade deadline, Harden is Maury's. <laughs> Harden is Maury's. So he's either gonna. I don't know. For, for me, it's they're either gonna find a trade by midseason, or I doubt Harden plays at all. You know, and. Uh, you let me know what you think, Carson. If I'm another contending team, I'm not giving up future assets to go out and get James Harden. I'm just not giving up an all-star caliber player to go out and get him. I think it would have to be like a three-team deal or something. His value to me uh, is very, very low. I don't think he is netting straight up another star, and that's not solely because of his basketball ability. That's because of factors like age. That's because of the fact that he has forced his way out of now three consecutive situations. That is because of the fact that you are going to have to pay him a big contract because clearly that's the major point of contention here. But when it comes to the question of how valuable is he right now, we didn't mention Dame in the top 10 point guards that you were listing out. That's also just... Oh, yeah. He's easy, yeah. Such a loaded position, though, right? Especially if we lump in the SGAs and the Lucas as point guards. Really, it's just primary ball handlers. And overwhelmingly, those kind of guys are the best offensive engines in basketball right now. The super skilled scorers and playmakers who initiate from the perimeter. There's no question to me that James Harden is still a star-level basketball player, and I think that he was in All-NBA conversations this regular season, and deservedly so, but the reality is, 
He is a guy who regresses in the playoffs and his high-end scoring punch is way down. And the leading reason for that is something that was very, very obvious throughout this playoff run. That being that his ability to get to the rim and to finish there against long, athletic defenders, strong interior defenses has greatly regressed. It was the theme of the playoffs for him. He could have these performances where he was brilliant as a jump shooter, but there was really only one game in the entire playoff run where he was like getting to the rim consistently. He made 1.6 field goals per game inside of eight feet in the playoffs at a 31% clip. So if you are that incapable of pressuring a defense downhill, which is really just a product of his athletic regression, that is a problem. And he did add the mid-range dimension this season, and especially in the playoffs, we saw him weaponize that more, where he made 50% of his attempts at really increased volume versus previous postseasons, which is a valuable counter to the deep drop covers that he often faces. It is just good to have that sort of variety in shot making, but still... His limitations getting to the rim are obvious. So he's highly reliant on that jump shooting where he is not going to be game to game blazing with his efficiency. There's just too much variance there. And that's why he was such an erratic performer in these playoffs. And his play style is still rigid. Like, yes, he's added a bit of shot variety with the mid-range, but he is still so pick and roll and isolation heavy. He is still going to overwhelmingly go to the same few moves, particularly the step back. He has very little off-ball value. So just when you compare that to a guy who gets better as a scorer in a playoff situation, like a Jalen Brunson, right? Where he can attack you in so many different ways. The floaters, the mid-range, pick and roll, with his back to the basket, he can do some work off ball. Those dudes are just going to do better. They have more counters. They have more ways to vary their attack over a seven-game series. Harden doesn't have that, especially at this stage in his career. He still loves foul grifting. His free throw attempts have gone down by 20% in the last two years in the playoffs. So that's just not a player who is going to maintain their level in the postseason compared to the regular season when he gets some more of those calls, when he's not facing consistently high-level defenses who are keyed in on taking away his preference. He is still, though, a great playmaker, and he was an 83rd percentile pick-and-roll creator. That's including passes. He was not that efficient as a scorer, but he was incredibly efficient in terms of facilitating to his teammates out of pick-and-roll one of the best in the league there. And you mentioned Joel Embiid being one of the best pick and roll partners in the NBA. We never saw him utilized at that sort of volume until James Harden got there. Now he's far and away the leading pick and roll scorer in the league. I think a huge part of that is the synergy that those two have between pick and roll, Harden's ability to amplify Embiid there. And I do think in a role where Harden is expected to facilitate first, alongside these great play finishing bigs or these versatile scoring wings, that's where he's going to be at his best. I don't know if I even want him as my number two scoring option come playoffs. Like I think we've seen back-to-back -back years now, Tyrese Maxey was a better, more consistent playoff scorer than James Harden. And so if you are looking at him compared to some of those other guards who you mentioned, Brunson, Fox, 
Jamal Murray, Trey Young, all those guys have entirely different scoring ceilings It's if it's because of their variety as shot makers when you're looking at Brunson and Murray, or if it's because of their ability to consistently get into the painted area when you're looking at De'Aaron Fox. Trey Young's ability to just manipulate pick and roll as a scorer at a higher level than James Harden right now, given his athletic regression. That just lethal change in pace that Trey has. All those guys can just carry a totally different offensive load because they can do so much more as scorers right now. So I think Harden is somewhere around the 30th best player in the league in a playoff setting. There's no question to me that he's better suited for the regular season. He can bring value. He's going to propel a really good regular season offense. But come playoffs, I think you want a couple guys alongside him who can carry a heavier offensive load, especially as scorers. So given the age... Given this tendency to jump ship that we've seen, given the contract situation, his value is definitely less than his talent. And when you talk about what is he going to get in return, it is certainly going to be closer to a Beal level value than it would be like a Paul George deal that we saw a few years ago, right? Now, the difference between this and Beal is, first of all, Harden is still better than Bradley Beal. But more importantly, the Wizards wanted long-term assets, right? They were willing to take just a plethora of first and second round pick swaps, even though that's not great. It is future value. Whereas Philly is going to need win now value. But to me, that's not going to come in the form of a very good player necessarily, which is what Daryl Morey said that they're looking to get back. I think it's going to be multiple high-end role players who you are able to say to some team that is looking to take a leap in terms of contention, hey, James Harden value as this offensive star surpasses what those guys mean to you, but we still need valuable two-way wings, guys who can shoot the ball at a really high level, guys who can defend multiple positions. I think that is what the package is going to come down to. You're not trading him for a star straight up. I just don't see it. So where do you think are the most logical locations for Harden? Obviously the Clippers are the front runner, but What's your feeling about that? How would that package look to you? This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter let's please welcome jamal crawford to point game king of the court one-on-one tournament if they had it back in your prime do you think you could have took it all i'm gonna be honest with you i don't think i could have took it all but i think i would have shocked a lot of people i think kobe and everybody in their prime kobe would win a one-on-one contest yeah yeah because you gotta think he's gonna guard he don't care about guarding He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. I'm not guarding like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. He's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it. 
<laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Jeff T from the Club 520 Podcast. You'll know when you get it. It'll say eBay, authenticity, guarantee. You'll feel it because when it comes to your feet, eBay has your back. Maybe it's a head-turning pair for hooping or a hot new collab. Whatever you're after, when you cop on eBay, you can trust that your kicks will be checked by experts, not just any expert. Sneaker experts who live and breathe the culture. Real people with real hands-on authentication experience. That's when Blue Checkmark represents on our listing. eBay authenticity guarantee, meaning every inch, stitch, sole, logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. So when you finally step into those grill kicks, you'll realize the feeling is unlike any other. And with eBay authenticity guarantee, the feeling of real is always within reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Yeah, I just think it's hard to make out with what you said. Maury wants a star-level asset that keeps him in contention. If he goes to L.A., I mean, you're looking at, like, Batum, Covington, and Terrence Mann, which, you know, if I'm being honest, like, it's not horrible value for, for James Harden, like, but you want a guy who's comparable. Like, Harden still plays a very valuable role in this offense. Like you said, setting the table for everybody, getting the offense in motion, initiating out of pick and roll. Like, he's a very vital cog in this machine now I think Tyrese Maxey and Tobias Harris can take on bigger roles but I still don't think that's approximate value like Batum's a good three and D wing Covington is a really versatile defender and a good shooter both are aging and then Terrence Mann is just a really versatile well-rounded all-around weapon now I do think that is kind of mutually beneficial right you're getting two guys who serve very valuable roles three and D wings and then Terrence Mann is just a Swiss army knife but I mean, you're not getting back Covington George and Marcus Morris. You're not getting back Covington, Kawhi Leonard, and Marcus Morris. Like, you're just not giving up Kawhi or PG uh, if you're the Clippers. It's just not good value. And I do want to mention, too, you talk about Harden struggles in the playoffs. I think Joel Embiid deserves a little bit, um, you know, of that share of the blame for struggling in the playoffs. Embiid struggled a lot, too. And I want to give Harden his credit for willing the Sixers to those two victories in the Celtics series. Like, he put the team on his back. But I want consistent guys who do that every night. And Harden does, while he had those two great games, still does deserve the largest share of the blame, in my opinion, for losing in Philly. If it's not L.A., maybe Miami. I mean, I've seen... That's the thing, though, bros. If you don't get back a contending-level asset, if you don't get back multiple really good role players or you don't get back a star you now run the risk of pissing off, you know, Joel Embiid and maybe potentially, you know, run the risk of losing him down the road or something like that because you baffled this trade. That's what makes this so complicated, right? Uh, Jaime Jaquez Jr. in three firsts straight up, I don't think it's terrible value for a guy like James Harden in terms of future assets. Joel Embiid is not waiting around for those three firsts to pan out and get better. I've seen the Knicks. R.J. quickly sims in two firsts for Harden. I don't really love the fit of Brunson and Harden sharing on-ball duties, and I hate the fact that they're still trying to maximize Julius Randle off-ball. I don't think an NBA team is going to come and trade for James Harden by the end of this offseason, Carson. I just don't see it. Maybe a ludicrous three-team deal with the Heat, Blazers, and Sixers. Maybe if that can somehow get Dame to Philly or Harden somewhere else. But I just don't I just don't see the path, if I'm being honest with you, dude. And I don't think he's that valuable. I, the, my favorite landing spot, I guess, is the Clippers for role players. But that's because I, that's the closest to being a mutually beneficial deal 
that I see. But I don't know, man. Is there any other destinations that you see for Harden? Do you think LA is the most logical one? I just don't see a lot of teams lining up for his services right now. Well, I think that that is definitely the reality of the situation. There's not a ton of intrigue, and obviously people aren't coming with an asking price that Daryl Morey likes so far. I think the Heat are off the table. I think that the Dame trade is an inevitability. I just don't see how he could exert that level of demanding to go there no matter what, and it it doesn't ultimately happen because I don't think that he's playing in Portland again. And uh, New York, I just... I don't like it, man. It's I don't ugly, think right? that Philly is intrigued in the R.J. Barrett-centered package. I think that although, obviously, he has his moments and he can impact the game with his athleticism and, you know, is... I just think as a shot maker, he is still far too erratic right now. I don't think that he fits in Philly. And I think that the redundancies with... Harden and Jalen Brunson to me taking the ball out of Brunson's hand relegating him to more of an off-ball secondary ball handler role when he was just so phenomenal and to me is clearly better than Harden right now doesn't make sense so I think the Clippers are the best basketball fit for Harden first of all because it's exactly what we were talking about in terms of optimizing his role I think he could help them grab a higher seat in the regular season. Obviously, availability is a constant concern with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. It's almost a guarantee that those two are going to miss a combined 50-plus games. Harden is a guy who can help steady the ship there, who can consistently turn out high-quality offensive performances in the regular season. And then in the playoffs, can continue to dictate offense and stretches, right, maybe alongside bench units, uh, can empower those guys to do more off-ball to where they don't have to be constantly running pick and roll and trying to get both their own buckets and create for others. But, right, PG is such a great player as a catch-and-shooter coming off screens. You can just add a bit more offensive variety and alleviate some of that playmaking burden that is on them. I think he would make their offense better, no doubt. But, importantly, let Kawhi and PG assert themselves as those lead scores in the big moments where they are just on another level. And I do think that the Clippers need more punch right now to get over the top in the West. I think that as a team defense, they have regressed with the aging of their core. I think that some of their primary role players have regressed in terms of aging, right? Marcus Morris, Nick Batum, I think is still an impactful guy who I like, but I don't think he's at his apex of value. So they need to do something to me if they want to compete with the Denver Nuggets. And I think that the best thing to do there is add another really high-level offensive talent. And I do think they can put together an intriguing package. Like, if Philly gets real and comes to the understanding that they are not getting a star, if you can get, you threw out a slightly different package, but what if instead of Rocco, it's Norman Powell, Terrence Mann, Nick Batum, a first-round pick swap in 2028, and then you get back Harden for Con Korkmaz. To me, that's a couple of real quality two-way wings. Norman Powell brings real offensive punch. It's not ideal. I would love somebody who can do that sort of facilitating at the level that Harden does, but there's not many guys out there. I don't think you're getting one back for him. Adding more quality wings, adding really skilled offensive talent, I think would be a win for them. And for the Clippers, your depth takes a hit. 
Your defense is uh, probably even more of an issue when you're giving up man and Batum, but the offense would be incredible, and that gives you a level of upside that I'm not sure they totally have right now in insurance for if one of your two foundational pieces right now is hurt, which is honestly quite likely. So I do think that makes the most sense. I don't think that is a bad deal for Philly at all, all things considered. Multiple really good role players at positions of need you're at least keeping yourself in these conversations. I don't think they can get better in a James Harden trade. I also don't think, given Harden's playoff regression, given the fact that Joel Embiid has not been able to maintain his apex into a playoff run yet, that they were good enough as configured this past year to actually win the title. They're good enough to knock on the door, but I couldn't see them going through four playoff rounds as they were constructed this past year or the year before, which is a problem in and of itself. But it's separate from what's the value we can get from Harden. I think that that would actually be a good deal. The other one that does intrigue me is I think we can agree James Harden is not going to play for the Sixers again. And I think we also know that Daryl Morey is hard-headed and is not somebody who's going to rush to make this happen, even given this context of Harden calling him out like that. I just don't see Maury rushing to a conclusion. So if this does drag out and it gets to the mid-season point, I do think the Lakers can put together a package that is at least competitive if you throw something like D'Angelo Russell, Rui Hachimura, and the 2029 first out there. I think that for the Sixers, then... You are adding a guy in D'Lo who, in terms of his offensive ability, is comparable to a guy like Norman Powell. I think Norman Powell is a better pure scorer of the basketball, but D'Lo does bring some more of that facilitating. Now, I'm not saying he's a guy that I want to lean on in a super heavy role offensively, but without James Harden, Philly doesn't have anything resembling a primary ball handler. I love Tyrese Maxey. His playmaking is not at that level. So, with a D'Lo, you're adding skilled shooting, you're adding skilled playmaking from the perimeter, and you're adding a powerful, skilled two-way forward in Rui Hachimura, who we just saw have an awesome, impactful playoff run. And you could get a draft asset out of it as well, even if it is way down the line. You're not getting a great draft package from James Harden right now. And then for the Lakers, why would they do it? Well, you add a really high-end perimeter talent who can, again, carry that offensive load in the regular season, who can empower LeBron and AD to thrive as play finishers instead of asking LeBron to create his offense more, which I think is like maybe the most valuable thing that you could do for LA. Just given AD was clearly the best defensive player on the planet in this playoff run, offensively, he was inconsistent. LeBron, we saw, just could not reach that high-end gear night to night. He had to pick his spots far more. He wanted to be playing more off-ball, more opportunistic in transition, attacking the occasional post-mismatch. He didn't want to be primary ball handler LeBron at all. If you have James Harden carrying that load instead of D'Angelo Russell, to me, that outweighs the value of giving up Rihachimura as good as he is because your depth is still good, your two-way personnel is still good, and now you've added an offensive star. So I don't know that I like that package more for Philly than I do what the Clippers can put together, but I definitely see a real value coming from D'Lo and Rui in those two specific roles. D'Lo is tough, man, just because, no, I don't trust him to hold off over multiple playoff rounds. But again, 
you're not getting a player of the caliber of James Harden. You have to now accept that this situation is broken beyond repair. Let's try to add good role players at positions of need. That's what it comes down to. But what does this mean for Philly in your eyes? Because if they can't put together a contending roster, where are what's going to happen next? I mean, they're firmly competing for, I think, the three seed for me, Carson, uh, at best. I still love the Celtics way more. I like what they did in the offseason. I think if Tatum and Brown can improve with their deficiencies, Tatum getting to the rack more, Brown improving his handle, you know, you know, rounding out his game, I think the Celtics can improve even more, added Porzingis. I still love them. I still love the Milwaukee Bucks, too, even though they're getting up there in age. I just like them way more. Those are teams that I can legitimately see at the end of the year, you know, hoisting Larry O'Brien and uh, winning a title. Philly's not in that boat. And I think it starts with Joel Embiid, Carson, with a lot of what you said. Joel Embiid is the primary focus. He has to be better in the playoffs as a takeover scorer, as a playmaker, everything. Embiid has to be better. I mean, but even if Embiid is at his apex, like, I don't see this team competing for a title. So, Next season, they're like knocking on the door, like you said. I think they're right at the brink of actually being legitimate contenders. Down the line, though, one more year of playoff misfortune, of disappointment. Is Embiid gone? Like, I mean, that's the question that I come to is that has Embiid had enough where mm-hmm. you have the drama with Ben Simmons and he never improves? That duo never really materializes. You bring in James Harden for Ben Simmons, he is now the partner of Joel Embiid this crashes and burns. Like, when does Joel Embiid have enough? We are at the peak of player mobility, and that's the next outcome, right? We talked about this with Luka. With every star, it's like one bad trade, one misstep, one one fuck-up organizationally, and you are at risk of losing your star player. That's the outlook for Philadelphia is seriously running the risk of maybe losing Joel Embiid. I wouldn't pick them. I I, I don't think that I'd take the Cavs over them. I don't know if there's any other team out east that I would take over Philly for that three spot. But I'm not well, taking Philly. What about if Miami gets the Dame deal done? Oh, then if Miami gets Dame, I mean, my, oh, for sure. Like, Miami might be my number one team out east. I'm not, I don't mean that hyperbolically. Like, I love Dame. They would firmly be four and out of playoff and out of finals contention to me. A Dame trade to Miami puts Philly in that, sorry, guys, you, you tried. And I believed in Philly enough to where I thought maybe they could compete next year if Embiid was at his best, if Harden pulled his weight enough. That's it. I mean, that's the bottom line, Carson, is that they could lose Joel Embiid after next season if they screw this up. So, I mean, Maury has to capitalize. And I think Maury knows that, too. That's why he's saying we want a star-level player back. That's why I won't count him out, though. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's a team dumb enough to overpay for James Harden, but if that team exists... I believe that Daryl Morey can find that chump, can find that sucker to overbite and to get another all-star. I mean, he obviously did it with Ben Simmons, right? Harden was a a great addition in terms of value. Unfortunately, he uh, just couldn't stick it out for more than a year and a half. But there's no question that things are headed the wrong way in Philly, big time. I do think that Miami is going to get Dame, which means... I would say that Philly is going to have the fourth most talented roster going into next season or whenever that trade goes down. And either way, I think that they are, without James Harden, 
regardless of the package they get back, firmly below Boston and Milwaukee. So if they are going to make a deep playoff run, Tyrese Maxey is going to have to take a leap and Embiid is going to have to not just maintain his offensive dominance from the regular season, which keep in mind, he has not been close to doing. We've talked so much about his playoff regression over the years, but just looking at the last two seasons when he has been at his apex, he is dropping off by seven and then 10 points per game in the playoffs compared to the regular season. His efficiency is plummeting. His proficiency as a jump shooter is plummeting. His playmaking has been terrible. His difficulties dealing with double teams, right? Averaging way more turnovers than assists. So he just hasn't translated, but then he also is going to have to be this great defensive anchor. In my opinion, it's just a load that he would have to carry on both ends of the floor that to me, he hasn't proven he is capable of and would be like a really historic level of greatness. And I just think when there are more talented teams out there and there are players of his tier who have proven at a higher level that their game translates to the playoff stage. I am just very skeptical. And we have seen the writing on the wall from Joel Embiid as of late, right? Taking processing and Philadelphia, Pennsylvania out of his Twitter bio. I do not think that that is a coincidence for a guy who loves social media and loves stirring shit up as much as he does. During that interview, when he was talking about how his biggest aspiration is to win a title and he said whether it's Philly or anywhere else like I just think very clearly we are coming towards a breaking point and I don't think this situation is salvageable you are going to lose talent giving up hard no matter what you are going to particularly lose the value of that great facilitator and I do think that that's going to hurt Embiid like I don't think Embiid has ever had higher quality looks created for him I don't even think it's close than this year the efficiency with which he finished around the rim just the amount of space that he's able to get in pick and pop looks when he is playing with James Harden who demands the level of respect as an offensive threat himself I don't see things getting better I don't see the path and I do think that that will ultimately lead to Joel Embiid leaving Philadelphia and I just think This entire Philly experiment, honestly, there's so many missteps that you can look at, right? Like the massive downturn of Ben Simmons, obviously prioritizing Tobias Harris over Jimmy Butler, the Harden experiment not working out as hoped. There's just only so many blows that an organization can take where a star of that caliber is just going to tolerate it. And I think Embiid has a huge level of responsibility in their playoff underachievement. In fact, I would say he is the primary culprit if you look at the entirety of this tenure in Philly, but that's not necessarily the most important thing because he's still their best player. He's still their most prized asset and he can still look at all these things and say, look where you messed up. I'm done. I want out. So I do think that that's where this is headed. For James Harden, Logan, when you think about where his career has headed and it has been a very rapid change from 2020 right him being at the peak scoring level of his career a couple of the great scoring campaigns that we've ever seen in the history of this game in 2019 and 22 then the ugly fallout in Houston the disaster in Brooklyn now this in Philly we just did our top 25 NBA players of all time. We did not really mention James Harden in a serious way. He was not on either of our lists. 
what is his legacy going to be after all this? I mean, probably that he's a quitter. Like, I appreciate Harden and what he did in Houston and dragging those teams to contention. I mean, he's, you know, at his peak, he's like 35 and 10. He's one of the great heliocentric offensive engines that we've ever seen where every possession is dictated through him, creating great shots and great looks for everybody. He's one of the greatest, one of the great, uh, creators off the dribble in terms of space uh, and just shooting from behind the arc off of the dribble. He's insane. Uh, Harden in his prime, two great finisher inside, great uh, in on the in-between range. He's just a complete scorer and a, and a tremendous, tremendous playmaker. Uh, I know that Harden likes to pound the rock, but he really is a great passer. But I mean, I think the fact that Harden never got a ring, and I feel bad for that one year where Chris Paul gets injured, I think that Uh, Houston had a legitimate shot at getting to the finals and making some noise then. I mean, you're just going to, you're going to look back at this and you're going to be disappointed for a multitude of reasons. The Thunder Corps falling apart because they didn't want to pay him. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Chris Paul injury, the drama with Kyrie Irving, with those guys getting hurt in Brooklyn. But I mean, the bottom line is that Harden gave up. Harden quit. Harden, it's just not the... It's not what a winner does, man. A winner doesn't just give up in Brooklyn. Like, like anytime you're on the court, man, you're trying to win games. Like, I always remember that loose ball, man. Like, when Harden really doesn't give a fuck, Harden would show you. That loose ball, Carson, that, uh, you know, goes into the backcourt, Harden just lets him pick it up, go score uh, on the, you know, for an easy fast break layup. Like, winners, competitors, guys who love the game, guys who want to win, guys don't do that no matter the situation. And, Harden has repeat, re, repeatedly shown he doesn't care that if he wants out, he's going to throw a tantrum like a little baby and he's going to quit. And that ultimately is what is going to, I feel like, overshadow a lot of the great that Harden has done. Uh, again, mm-hmm. I, I want to appreciate all that, you know, what a great player Harden was. But when the going got tough, James Harden, instead of going harder, instead of being uncomfortable and learning to be uncomfortable, like he said he was going to do this offseason— Harden chose to pack his bags and leave town and to cry about it and whine. And so ultimately, I think it's going to overshadow it. I think that's kind of his legacy right now. I mean, what is this? This is damn near four consecutive off-seasons where Harden has pulled this same stunt. And that's what you think of. I feel like you think of more than Harden being this dominant, Mm -hmm. great offensive centerpiece. I feel like that's what you think of more with Harden is this kind of, you know, guy who likes drama, guy who wants to quit on teams when the going gets tough. I think that's his legacy, ultimately. I think it'll be interesting to see how perspective changes when we are more removed from the immediate moment of this is what James Harden is doing right now. Because ultimately, with people, we do tend to focus on their peaks, and James Harden isn't at his peak right now. But I do think that you're largely... Right. I think certainly he'll be remembered as one of the best guys to never get it done, right? But I also think he is going to be viewed as a guy who bears some real responsibility in that. I mean, the playoff regression is real. His efficiency taking a significant hit there, uh, his inconsistency as a jump shooter on the playoff stage. I just think the overall wearing down of his body from his play style, the fact that because of his lack of variety as a shot maker, the lack of variety in his attack, as we talked about, it's the same thing that plagues him in the playoffs now. He just used to be a much better all-around player 
and even more was expected of him, and he just continuously regressed. And so I do think it's going to be a career that is looked at as being largely defined by missed opportunities. OKC, Houston, Brooklyn, Philly. I mean, every one of those situations, he has had a team, at least one, that people would look at and say, all right, well, they could go out there and really make some noise. I mean, title favorites in Brooklyn for that one year. And obviously injury is what took them down there, but nevertheless, a missed opportunity. Houston, I mean, title co-favorites in 2018. I think most people viewed them as being as good as the Warriors that year, and they were, but they didn't get it done. So I think it's going to be that, the missed opportunities. I think it's going to be his playoff regression, which I do think is a fair thing to point out. And I think it's going to be his attitude, what you mentioned. I mean, people will remember and they will talk about the fat suit memes and his love of strip clubs above everything else and the fact that he was willing to exaggerate an injury or stop playing or not show up to camp for a time in Houston. Like, that's the reality. When you do that multiple times in a row, it does begin to define you. And... I saw Nikias Duncan on Twitter say something along the lines of, I think that things might be headed in the Dwight direction for Harden, where people forget how damn good he was at his apex. Now, I think that Harden has a longer peak and was on more great teams than Dwight Howard, and you know he'll have the gaudy offensive production to back up a resume as well. But, I mean, if you look at Dwight's trajectory, right, it was this incredible peak, and then it was disaster in L.A., and then it was a not-great situation in Houston, and then he just bounced from team to team, and he always had the element with his personality where people didn't respect him and didn't view him as one of the great competitors, and he was just kind of foolish at times. And so that can define him more than his basketball greatness to some. And I do wonder, is this going to overshadow with James Harden? An incredible basketball resume, six-time first-team All-NBA, five times top three in MVP voting, three-time scoring champ. As you mentioned, this remarkable ceiling as both a scorer and playmaker, a man who won 64% of his games with the Rockets in his entire tenure there, in which he was always the guy, and led seven top seven offenses in his eight years there, including three straight top two offenses at his apex, and I mean, it was just producing at a level that we have very rarely seen. Like, you cannot ignore the duality of that to me. You cannot just disparage James Harden. Like, yes, he has limitations. He has issues that not apply to the true all-time greats. And I don't think there's any question that, like, apex to apex, right? Give me a Kawhi Leonard over James Harden. Give me that level of shot making, that level of physical imposition, his ability to get wherever he wants on the floor. Give me that two-way impact. There's no coincidence to me that Kawhi, even with his super limited availability versus James Harden, was able to climb the mountain that one time. To me, it's not a matter of supporting cast. It is a matter of their basketball skill set translating to excellence on the highest level. But that doesn't take away the fact that James Harden is still better than almost every other player of the generation, with the exception of obviously LeBron and KD and Steph, and now in these later years, the Giannis's and Jokic's. But Harden was an incredible player. He is still a star level player. This is going to cloud his legacy. This is going to be part of the conversation with him forever, as it should be. But it also shouldn't be the only thing. So... It's always interesting to see how these narratives develop, how these guys age, and how they are viewed with retrospect. But I don't know. 
if Harden's able to get to the Clippers, right, maybe they're able to make a meaningful run. Even then, I wouldn't view them at the top, top end. There's just too many questions in terms of availability before we even get into the basketball dynamics. But we'll see how this all plays out. Even with a even with a prospective Clippers trade, man, I don't think I'm putting them over Phoenix. I don't think I'm putting them over Golden State. I'm not putting them over Denver. I I don't even know if I put them over the Lakers at this point, man. Like if if a Harden trade went through, availability is the biggest concern, man. I don't trust any of those guys to. Uh, I don't trust Paul or Kawhi to be on the floor, and I don't trust I don't know Harden to be great during the playoffs. I think it makes them better. It also makes me wonder what they do with Russell Westbrook. Uh, I don't know. The, the Clippers would probably be like eight in that eight to ten range of my legitimate finals contenders, even with a Harden trade. I just have too many red flags. I do think they should do it if they can, but we will see if Philly bites. So that's going to do it for us here today, guys. We are going to be going full-blown NFL next week. We're going to start with our division previews as we approach the big kickoff. So very excited for that. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe to the Volume YouTube page. That's where you can find all of our full shows. You can also follow us across social media, TikTok and Instagram at NerdSesh, Twitter at Nerd underscore Sesh. You can buy our merch. You see Logan's got the NerdSesh hat. We've got the flags behind us. Just knocked down my mic. At thevolume.com, which you can also access through our link tree in any of our social media bios. You can join our Discord that is also in our link tree. And you can book us on Cameo if you want now. You can get some, some custom messages from the nerds. Whatever you want, we'll go on there and say it for a price like your little court jesters. So feel free to check us out there if you want. And with that, as always, appreciate you guys. I have been Carson Brabber. I have been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sash. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.